everyone, and welcome to episode 107 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2012 Australian Grand Prix. We are back, we are racing, and we could not be more excited. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, all through the offseason, we saw the cars launched, and they said, oh, this isn't going to matter until we see the cars on track. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And then we saw the cars on track, and they said, well, these times don't really matter. This is just testing. What really matters is qualifying. Well, practice. And then that didn't matter either, because right. it was wet, and, and it then, was dry. And, and then was... qualifying says, well, that's the qualifying pace, but the race is really what matters. And then even after the race, well, Australia is a weird one. It's we really going to be... Malaysia so... is going to be, well, we haven't gotten to Europe yet. Anyway. But we have seen the cars. They have all qualified. Everyone's given it their best, and we've seen how the chips have fallen. And we have a result. Result. Yes. So there's a, a few things to talk about um, as, as we get up to there. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of want to barrel into the results. Uh, I'm excited, I know, but, but we can't. We have to restrain. We are, we are mature podcasters here. Yes. And I think we have to start. Don't we, we have a beef, I think, with a certain little network somewhere off on some island somewhere. Yeah. So... You know, I'm looking around online, and people are saying, oh, yeah, hey, congrats on the new show. I'm, I'm liking the new show. And I'm like, well, it's the new, not new. The new episode of the new show? The <laughs> F1 mean, show is almost five years old. They said, no, no, the new F1 show. So it turns out some some random, you know, uh, some broadcaster hacks or whatever have come together. Some noobs, trying, clearly. Yeah, trying to kind of steal our mojo and um, making another show called the F1 show. And uh, this isn't Poland in a different language or, you know... Wherever else we've seen we've seen F1 show poachers in the past, but different languages we've let it go. But this one, this is going to be hard to swallow. Yeah, I mean they don't quite speak English, but it's a weird version of English. Totally weird. Version. I don't I don't get it. But anyway, um, yeah, apparently. So you, you by listening, uh, dear follower, you are listening to the real, the original, the proper F1 show with the better logo. By Except the way, no imposters, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because you have found it. And you should stick to it, because really, we are the F1 show. We have been forever. We are the American F1 podcast. What could go wrong? What could possibly go but So so much can go right. Yes. Luckily, we have a gifted and talented team of lawyers, and they are working on this. <laughs> we um, sure do. It's we definitely. Both of my cats are looking into this. Be uh, afraid. Yeah. People that we are potentially litigating slash suing. So we've gotten some comments uh, on Twitter and some feedback that was not feedback to our show it was feedback to another show and at least like, oh, we hope for some of it apparently they said they didn't like something that uh anyway uh yes but you're you're on the correct f1 show so congratulations for finding your way to the best f1 podcast that there is ever that said um yeah i mean we had uh just a little bit of coverage from our last show our preseason update was just on kind of car launches and all that since then we yes. had all the testing um which well not all the testing some of the testing had already happened but uh not all of it yet right Right, and at that point we were talking about how the times don't really matter, and they didn't really. Nope. Um, I mean, you know, we didn't have a sour victory today or anything. Um, but uh, although Kamui didn't look too bad, we have to say. Right. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We we watched practice, but again, practice was kind of rain delayed. However, we do know that in practice two, for example, on the end of Friday, Michael Schumacher was the fastest man um, in the paddock on the grid. So. Uh, that was inter an interesting uh, data point, um, how real it was, mm, who's to say. And there's, like, news leading up to this race weekend. Well, that was the entire off season, So right. we've kind of covered that. So I think, really, we can jump into qualifying. Yes. Um, so, 
as you said, uh, Friday practice was a bit of a, of a rain, kind of iffy washout of a session, wet, wet and drying, and not a whole lot of helpful running. Uh, it was good to see all the cars out on track, and uh, that, you know, uh, shortly before the beginning of the season, finally the Marusha and HRTs did uh, get their crash tests, pr- uh, you know, past crash tests and all that. They right. were able to run. Um, but HRT, just way, way off the pace. Um, yes. Uh, and, you know, the pace here... Um, not even being the 100, 107% time. I mean, they were um, over a second off the 107% time. It wasn't even, like, quite a borderline. But two seconds behind the nearest rivals, the Marusha team. Right, absolutely. So, you know, they, we, I still think of, uh, actually, all, all three cater him, formerly Lotus, Marusha, and HRT, as the new guys. But this is their third year this in is. F1. They're really not that new. Uh, and, and, of course, they still, they still have the budget issues that they've always had. And, you know, they're not going to be – they're not quite the organization or anywhere near the organization of some of the larger teams and, and bigger budget teams, more established, and so on. But, yeah, to see, um, you know, the, the, the Marusha uh, – you know, Marusha Virgins, whatever, um, with Timo Glock and Charles Peake uh, with, yeah, 130 you – know, high 130s, low 131s, and then the HRTs with 133.5 second times. It's like they're just – way off of reality so far so well we've mentioned it a little bit in in the last episode we now have f1 show statistics we still have not quite gotten to the place where we can make it live on the website and the other spheres of uh, knowledge where we on add it however we do have it in front of us and um, the numbers are quite startling you know so the poll time was a, a blistering fast um uh, 24.922 set by lewis hamilton Extremely impressive, right? Yes. Uh, Pedro De La Rosa was 8.573 seconds slower than that. Uh, Narain Karthikeyan was slower still, 8.721 seconds per lap. I would not be surprised if the top-running GP2 cars were quicker. Yeah, and in some cases we've seen cars be outside the 107% time and still allowed to race. This time, not the case, which I think is probably the right thing to do because when the cars are that much slower... Uh, than the lead cars, then it's, you know, they, we know they're going to get lapped. They're going to get lapped several times. There's just more issues with traffic and safety and everything else. So it's a disappointment for the new slash young slash low budget teams to not even race after all the time and money and effort they've put into getting getting here, you know, qualifying, you know, with limited testing and everything. They got here and then, oh, they just missed out. But at the same time, you know, for the benefit of everyone involved and, and all the rest of them, there wasn't nearly as much lapping as, as there would have been, you know, with, with the two fewer cars in the race. Right. And uh, it, you know, ended up probably being the the right way to go. But hopefully it's, they can come back and do better in Malaysia. It's funny you say young, though, because if you think about HRT in terms of the drivers. Yeah, drivers, no, not at all. Pedro De La Rosa, I think, is 41 now. And Narain's not young. He's 35 or so. So that gives him like a 37-ish, 38-ish average age right. for HRT. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a side point there. But uh, um, it, it's a shame, um, but it is what it is. The um, only other cars that were in the 90s were the Maharasha cars. Um, uh, Timo Glock managed a uh, 30.923, and Charles Peake was actually a fair amount uh, back from Timo with a uh, 31.6. However, you know, Charles Peake is a proper rookie, um, first time racing uh, and qualifying in real circumstances at all so got to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and, and Timo Glock's never quite made it big but he is quite a veteran at this point uh with with many years under his belt um but so speaking of Q1 though yes um out in Q1 the Iceman uh <laughs> in the Lotus Renault Kimi Raikkonen uh did not make it out of Q1 it was 
kind of a weird combination of um, he had a bit of a mistake where he ran wide uh-huh. on a corner, which wasn't wouldn't be enough to really matter. But then he slowed down afterward, which turned out to be turned out to mean he wouldn't get another try at it. And exactly. So it was just sort of a miscommunication in the timing. So ultimately, it was it was a mistake on track. But then it was sort of his reaction to that and the communication with the pits to sort of you know he, maybe he thought he was at a different time than he was in the session. You could call um, it a rookie mistake, perhaps. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, so that that was a disappointment. I mean, to see Kimi Räikkönen and a much heralded return to F1 uh, and to be qualified 18th uh, is is a bit of a disappointment. But uh, you know, it wasn't uh, you know I guess catastrophic. It was just sort of an unfortunate situation. He says, "Yeah, these things happen," and and so on. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, we we have a lot of talk about Caterham in the off season about you know nipping at the heels, being the best of the of the new, you know, and I got to really get away from that term, I guess, right. but the best of that generation of teams and all that. Um, but still the, the bottom, bottom end of the grid was both Caterham's, both Marussia's, and then the, uh, the HRT is not even making it. Um, so yeah, Heike Kovalainen just ahead of Vitaly Petrov in there, but, uh, and then, and then odd man out in, uh, in Q1, uh, being Sergio Perez in the Ferrari and the Sauber Ferrari, of course. Um, uh, no, it, it, it looks weird. I, I know what you're looking Perez made it to Q2, but then he never ran. Oh, okay. Uh, Raikkonen's the odd man out. Raikkonen's the odd man out. There's the three new teams, which aren't that new anymore. Yeah. Raikkonen, because of his mistake. And then we went on to Q2, and Perez never set a time in Q2. Right. And then they had a five-quarter spot penalty anyway for changing his gearbox, so it ended up starting 22nd. So, Uh, and what's really interesting, though, is that uh, uh, Felipe Massa did set a time in Q2, and he was 16th. Yeah. And uh, worse still <laughs> is that uh, Alonso also set a time in Q2, but then trying to set a better time, went on to spin off the track. And what's worse about that more than anything else is that Alonso outqualified Massa by four places, even though he was only even running for the first third of Q2. Yeah, he didn't actually get to get on his fast lap. Uh, you know, Massa had four more laps than, uh, than Alonso in qualifying, and yet still Alonso, you know, very handily outqualified him. Uh, yeah, Massa so far this year has been a, a continuation of the downward trend of Massa over the last few years. I think yes. I could, could say fairly accurately, and uh, that's that hasn't been going out well. But um, yeah, so then the rest of the, the sort of the, so Ferrari. I mean, you know, being back markers at this point almost, you know, compared to uh, compared to the rest of the top teams, really not a very solid uh, performance because they're you know, like I say, Alonso in twelfth and Massa in sixteenth. Uh, moving up, though, uh, Paul DeResta in Force India was 15th compared to his teammate, um, who actually... Nico Hulkenberg. Where is Hulkenberg? Ninth. Ooh, look at him up I there. I know. Yeah. Very impressive for his debut with the Force India team. Uh, very, very happy to see that. And also uh, Bruno Senna, 14th. Um, not bad until you compare him against Pastor Maldonado, who qualified 8th. Yeah, made it in Q3 and then, uh, and then set a time there. The uh, STRs split Q2 and Q3 with uh, Jean-Eric Verne in 11th and Daniel Ricciardo in 10th, uh, just making it into, uh, into Q3, although then Daniel Ricciardo did not go on to set a time in Q3. Um, didn't need to because he would have been 10th anyway. Um, but yeah, like you say, uh, Hulkenberg for the, uh, for the Force India in 9th, Pastor Maldonado for the Williams in, in uh, 8th, and then uh, Nico Rosberg, who was out-qualified by Schumacher, uh, as as the way it goes. I mean, we, we've looked at uh, the, the pair of those kind of going back and forth in terms of performance, but more recently, Schumacher ahead of Rosberg, and that was continued on this time with uh, Rosberg qualifying seventh and Schumacher in fourth. Yes, and then another nice little surprise, and hopefully means for a tighter uh, season between these two, Mark Webber did out-qualify Sebastian Vettel, and that was also um, Mark Webber 
ran one lap in Q3 versus Vettel's two. So uh, in Weber's one shot at it, he did better than Vettel did, which was uh, very interesting to see, not to mention that not only did Weber outqualify Vettel, it was for fifth and sixth as opposed to first and second. Yes. Um, uh, Michael Schumacher, you mentioned, ended up in fourth. Very strong running for him. But for me, the story of the day was uh, you have Kimi Raikkonen in 18th world champion 2007, Iceman, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Romain Grosjean, third. In his debut with the team, well, I guess debut with the team named Lotus. Right. As so, <laughs> kind of return to Renault. Yeah, slash. It's, it's his eighth Grand Prix, I think it is. He yeah. ran seven back in two or three years ago. Yeah, after, after Nielsen Piquet Jr. was fired right. for being part of the whole Singapore crash gate right, of Alonso's right. win yes. and that whole deal. Grosjean was the guy waiting in the wings. He was to only take like over nineteen or something at the time, and had the ridiculous lion hair at the point. Oh and, my and god, so that's right. He was the Lion King in uh, a way. So yeah, and even even Lotus Renault were were sort of shocked by that pace, and they were like, "Yeah, of course we knew, but uh, yeah, we're very pleased because we had no idea." <laughs> like, and uh, and I mean, Roman Grosjean to be on the podium in his first uh, you know qualifying back in a couple of years. You know, most people when they have a drive like that. And, and then don't continue on to a full race drive, you know, that's the end of their F1 career. You know, it's not that common for that to sort of come back around to a full proper race drive and what is potentially a top team here. Um, but he was just beaming on the podium, just so happy and, uh, and so excited to be there. But top steps of the podium here, um, apparently beautiful is fast. And the McLarens Absolutely. had a Arms lockout in the on air, the front row. Triumphant. Well, they, they – uh... They made the right decision. I mean, those step noses are ugly. I mean, let's just be honest here. And, you know, I don't know why, you know, the brilliant uh, Red Bull aerodynamics team, you know, led by the prophet that he is, mm-hmm. couldn't think, wow, that step nose is ugly. Well, I'm, I guarantee you they did, but they must have run simulations and must have run had some tests. And they looked in the rules. Everyone's, you know, looking at this. And I have to imagine at some point there's a meeting, right, where they – the either chief designer or the aerodynamics team or whatever they, they're looking at the rules and they, and they come to this conclusion they've sort of got some mock-ups or some designs and they need to kind of show the rest of the team right yeah. show the board or the designers or the whoever and they say okay this is what we're gonna have to do it's gonna be this step nose i'm talking about this could be a ferrari this could be a red bull you know and something well it, but it makes sense at red bull right like there when the adrian newey like when adrian newey comes up with this thing and he yeah. says this is how the car is going to look and there's got to be some people in the rest of the team that are like really yeah Ugh. and you think about this okay and then, and then there's part of it the argument is okay, what matters for a race car is not how it looks. It's really what matters is that it wins, and a winning car is a beautiful car. Yes and no. I mean, they, they, these are right. there are some genuinely really weird-looking cars, some worse than others. I think the, McLe- the Mercedes, it's not the McLaren, McLaren's a good one. The Mercedes is one of the worst because yeah. the front of the nose, it's not even like a flat front with a step in it. It's like the front's kind of round, and then the pillars for the side for the front wing come out of it weird, and then it comes up with this weird step. It's yeah. probably the most awkward-looking one. But I have to imagine at some point there's this meeting and they said, this is how the front of the car has to look. And the rest of the team or, you know, some people involved in sort of the, you know, the marketing side of it or some other part of the team says, like, really, does it have to look that way? And they're like, yes, yes, we've done all the calculations. This is what's going to be the fastest. I know it's ugly, but it's going to work great. And then now after qualifying and everyone has finally, you know, right, put right. their best hand in and so on. And look who's at the top of the grid and not by a small margin, um, you know, but uh, we've got. Um, you know, well, three tenths of a second from Jensen Button in second place back to the Lotus of Romain Grosjean and then on down from there. Um, you know, so by it's significant for, for modern F1. Right. Um, now, McLaren they're, has... They're, they're faster. And, and so all these guys that were sort of sold on the idea of like, okay, the car is ugly, but hey, it's going to work great. You know, we're really right. going to have this great design <laughs> here. 
Um, and even even Ferrari, you know, when they announced the car, uh, there was sort of that acknowledgement of like, we know it may not be the most beautiful Ferrari you've ever seen, um, but it's going to be great, you know. And then of course that's not so, so far turning out to right, be true. The bad first start. But when for you them. think about for an, I mean for an F1 car, especially something like a Ferrari or even a Mercedes, you know, those are luxury car brands. You know how they, they show you know the F1 cars are part of this the marketing materials and all these different ways. There's a sort of halo effect around it. When you think about even ads for you know fancy watches and boats and tennis rackets and all these things that just want to associate <laughs> them <rackets>. with <laughs> the branding of of whatever. Um, tennis rackets might be a little bit outside that scope, the, but the, I know what you're saying. The fancy watches, all this kind of stuff, and it's kind of got the car in there as like, oh, I'm associating this, you know, really cool thing with F1 because F1 is so cool. And there's just got to be, you know, when everyone just looks at one of the pictures of these F1 cars and it's just like, ugh, it's right. like really what it has to look like. Well, and especially for Ferrari, right? I mean, like yeah. everybody else, you know, you can make generalities. It's like, okay, well, you know, Adrian knew he's British, and it's like, okay, he's just British. But the Italians, right? Like, just just if anybody design. is going to say, yeah. no, it has to look pretty, you'd think it'd be the Italians, right? And, you know, they had to make the same engineering decision that everybody else did. Now, the McLarens have had a history of running a lower nose compared to other teams. So, you know, for them, just their fundamental philosophy of how a race car should be just kind of fit within the rules better. But so they had a little yeah. bit of a... It, it was easy for them to make that decision because they were going to make it no matter what. But some of those came from Adrian Newey's time at McLaren, though. I mean, some of that, you know, the, fair, so there were some, fair. you know, really, you know, interestingly packaged cars and there were compromises made where the aerodynamics were amazing, but the reliability wasn't good, you know, when Kimi Räikkönen was there yep. and mm-hmm. some of those cars. Uh, so it's it's kind of funny that, you know, some of that may have been Newey's influence and, like, maybe his older ideas were better or something. You know, obviously the Red Bull, you know, in the last two years was, was unstoppable, but... Uh, it's it's kind of funny how that how that has evolved and how you know even Nui was uh, maybe even sort of a part of that. But uh, yeah, so the FIA has already come out. Apparently, after seeing these cars in, on track, they were like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Uh, we want to change this. We don't want the step noses. We want F1 cars to be something that people don't look at and laugh about." Which is great, but at the same time, it's like, guys. I mean, people told them last fall, "Hey, they're going to look like this." And also, it, it seems like it didn't need to come to the first part of the race. Or the last bit of testing before they say, oh, yeah, these cars are kind of ugly. It's like, yeah, we, we, yeah. I mean, if they'd listened to our show, they would have known exactly. from the first ones that were, that were unveiled. That, uh, and you can even see before they're unveiled, underneath the, underneath the cloth <laughs> that goes over the cars, you're like, that's going to be ugly. That's broken. Look at that sh- big step in there. That's bad. The other thing I want to talk about before we move on from qualifying is um, the controversy surrounding uh, the McLaren, uh, not the McLaren, the Mercedes F-duct. Um, added to the DRS portion of the rear wing. Yes. So what this is is we all remember the F duct was there was a there was a, a an air passageway that went into the car where the driver could sort of put the back of his hand against a uh, a little hole in this pipe and that would either um, that would actually sort of send air uh, through a a hole in the bottom of the rear wing that would they would just have the effect of stalling the rear wing making the wing less effective and and making less downforce and less drag. So it wasn't that the wing itself was moving, it's that the airflow where the wing was moving by virtue of something the driver was doing. And that was deemed legal uh, because it wasn't, you know, the aerodynamic piece wasn't moving, and that's the whole point of the rules is that you can't have, you know, flexible wings that The move. rules of two years ago. Right. Um, and then, uh, so then everyone had F ducts, and then there was some concern about, okay, people are taking their hands off the steering wheels, and there's, uh, you know, other other concerns about doing that. So th- that, that changed, and that's gone away. But um, w- the way the... Uh, Mercedes system works. So that went away, and in replace of it came DRS last year. And the kind of idea was, is like, well, okay, this is a legal way to stall the rear wing, uh, and we'll do it in a way that's kind of restricted and regulated. And it's consistent. Everybody's got consistent. the same yeah. way of saying, okay. And that's yeah. supposed to help passing. Right. 
Uh, and then the way the Mercedes system works is um, is that the the rear wing itself moving with you know which is the DRS rules, which is like everyone else's does. Uh, but when that wing moves, it actually has an effect on the front wing as well. So instead of the driver, the back of the driver's hand blocking or, or you know changing the airflow through a through a pipe, it's the rear wing by virtue of you know doing its DRS movement to flatten out. Uh, that also would make the front wing less effective, so less drag, less downforce, and that would get them a bit greater top speed, which sounds pretty cool in, pra- in, in theory of, uh, of sort of, okay, if you're going to have, if you're going to change the balance of the rear wing, you know, it should change the balance of the front as well and sort of have a, you know, more effective DRS. And so you sort of think about uh, where, you know, when that's really going to be that helpful and kind of on the whole, um, is that a design that everyone's going to have to go and copy now if, if it's, uh, you know, Charlie Whiting? You know, had, yeah, so uh, Charlie Whiting has said that he thinks it's okay. However, that doesn't, that isn't the end of it. There is still people, uh, the other teams could protest it and would have to go to a committee. And the interesting issue to, for me is, let's say that that turns out to be a significant advantage. The, the issue is, is that it's a qualifying advantage largely. Because in racing circumstances, the DRS zone is very restricted. You can only use it for very short bursts on the straightaway. Now, when, when you're within a second of the car in front of you and so right, on. Yeah. Exactly. So you can only use it in certain circumstances. It might help a little bit more. But in qualifying, you can use DRS whenever you want, which means this advantage can be used whenever it wants. So if it's worth, let's say it's worth, just for argument's sake, a tenth of a second in um, racing, it might not be. It could be worth three or four tenths of a second in qualifying. So it'll be interesting to see, because um, we did it did kind of play out a little bit where the Mercedes seemed more competitive in qualifying than it turned out to be in racing, and I'm curious is if how much of this F duct like device added as part of their DRS is something that we can attribute to that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as well because of course. Um, the only way to know for sure would be if, if we knew, okay, one car had it and one car didn't, but even then it's different drivers. So it would have to be, okay, Michael Schumacher, go do yeah. a lap with and without, and we, you know, we're never going to get that. And we so, don't know. Yeah, we're never going to have anything all the rest of the truly objective, it. but it's just going to be an, as an anecdotal thing. Hey, is this, is there kind of a trend we can see? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, to, to look back at the, uh, at the results real quick, I mean, you know, Schumacher qualifying fourth in the Mercedes ahead of both Red Bulls. You have to think yep. something about that car is working well to get you know ahead of basically that's it ahead of both Red Bulls right and the, both the Newey cars. Uh, so it's it's you know so far I think uh, Caterham announced that they would be protesting that the, the legality of that system mm. um, and I haven't seen if that's moved forward yet and that may not be something that happens to be you know find out until next week. But um, as it stands, I mean they haven't I mean, they haven't been penalized or anything from from today, and I don't think they could be from today. But they may have, may be told to take that away. But in the absence of that, I feel like all the other designers are now looking at how can we incorporate this into our car um, in case it becomes you know in case it's deemed legal, then they can, sure. or even before it's called illegal, if you know if anyone can put that together, they can do that. But we have to say too, that's such a classic Ross Braun idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Ross Braun thing, big time. I mean, there's like the 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 kind of the two main approaches that I've kind of developed in my own mind there's like the adrian newey approach which is the most elegant solution within the rules and then there's a ross braun approach is like where where are the holes in the rules that we can capitalize on yeah. you know there's just kind of two mindsets because roger penske's kind of that way as well he's like well that's what the rules say how can we get around that you know so yeah. it's it's interesting to see those two uh strategies play out absolutely so into the race yes um, well, where to start? Uh, I had... know exactly where to start. Okay. Jensen Button. 
<laughs> that's where you start. That's where you end. He is the man. That was so fantastic. So Lewis Hamilton really had a fairly commanding pole position. He, you know, uh, he did his his lap on the first chunk of Q3 timing, and he put in a lap that was seven tenths clear of anybody. This 24.9. He was the only person to get into the 24. I'm sorry, 84. Whatever you want to call 84 it. 84 seconds, one minute, 24. Yeah. Right. And uh, the, the only person that got even close was his teammate, Jensen Button. But he was still a tenth and a half off his best time. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the start of the race, Jensen Button got a rocket start and just shot up right up the inside of Lewis Hamilton and took the lead, turn one, and, you know, at least against his teammate, never gave it back. So it was an impressive drive for him. It was commanding. He opened, he opened a multi-second lead in the first couple of laps. He vettled it. He very much vettled it. In, in other words. Yes. And it was brilliant to see. Um, <clears throat> I did predict that. And uh, just really great to see the McLarens starting strong. And just now we're in, the, we're in this uh, third year of the Button-Hamilton relationship. And to me, this just really just nails down the last last nail in the coffin of the button doubters of button being a viable teammate to Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, I guess because of his performance with Braun, that could be said. Okay, well, that was just down to the car. But then, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Where, okay, well, if it was just the car, then Rubens Barrichello would be just on even ground with Jensen Button. But no, Jensen Button really, really has stuff. Uh, having you know, with the right equipment underneath him, having you know, outqualified it. Um, not quite out-qualified Hamilton, of course, with Hamilton's one-lap pace being just that bit better. But, I mean, Button, it was, it was never really in, in jeopardy in this race. I mean, the, the gaps nope. would change a little bit as they were, but any time he needed to get the back, gap back up, he did. And what matters is, you know, he finished. I mean, there were no, no changes in order after the uh, second round of pit stops yeah. with, uh, you know, Vettel moving up and around just to, with the, you know, we'll get there. But And with the, I mean, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, but with the safety car two-thirds into the race... You know, that could have been a big game changer for Button, and he handled it without any problem, with aplomb. Yes. Um, Earlier in the race, much earlier in the race, uh, in turn one, uh, we did have a bit of a schmazzle, which unfortunately ended Nico Hulkenberg's race uh, right away. Huge same. Huge, huge same. I would have loved to see him, uh, you know, carry out that performance a little bit, see see where the Force India was. Because he definitely seemed to be the one carrying that team, right. at least this weekend. And then also, uh, Romain Grosjean, from starting from this, you know, shock third position on, uh, uh, you know, in qualifying, and to, to come out and do well, uh, makes it through lap one. But in lap two, ends up in a little shunt, and it ends his race. It breaks his right front wheel, its suspension, and all that. And at first, we looked like it looked like uh, Romain kind of got boned a little bit, but really, more more or less, it was a racing incident, and it just knocked his right front wheel askew, and that was the end of it. Yeah. And uh, I think that was that that was against Massa, wasn't it? No, that was too far. I, I think it might have been a. I forget who it was against now. Yeah, I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to go Should back and look. But anyway, uh, so that was a shame, really a shame too, because you know he was so far up, um, so far up in the grid, and he was, you know, we learned later on in an interview that he was saying he was surprised because he was, he felt like he was keeping up with front runners. He wasn't having a problem keeping their pace, so it could have potentially been a different podium had. Uh, roaming, not running that instant. Maybe not. That was with Pastor Maldonado. Pastor, okay. That's right. So I was totally wrong. But <laughs> uh, definitely looking forward to seeing Romain uh, in the future. And, I mean, definitely uh, how they compare to Kimi Raikkonen for Romain to get the upper hand in the opening round like this has got to be a huge confidence booster. Yeah, because we never did get to see, you know, with Kimi's, um, you know, 
problems in qualifying, meaning he was way back in the field and much harder to move his way forward, and then remained early uh, early retirement. You know, we didn't quite get to see what the balance of power there really is. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but a little bit uh, a little bit farther on down the race is another retirement uh, at near the top. Who Michael Schumacher, who started fourth and was here running third after Romain Grosjean yes, was out. Yes. Um, then uh, is. It just has, like, a gearbox problem. I mean, he did have an off-track excursion. Well, and to be fair, it, Schumacher was legitimately in third. Schumacher got around Romain. Yes. And uh, was running third on his own. Uh, and, yeah, but it wasn't too long. I think it was Vettel or somebody. I, I, I shouldn't even say who it was because I'm going to be wrong. But uh, someone was pressuring. Vettel was coming up behind him, yeah. Okay, it was Vettel. It was coming up pressuring Schumacher. And then it's like, oh, Schumacher lost the corner. Too much pressure from Vettel. And it's like, wait, Schumacher's not recovering. Wait, Schumacher's not recovering. Yeah. Bad gearbox. So Schumacher actually he could handle the pressure just fine against Vettel more, more likely than not. Just a you know, mechanical failure. Yeah. So we don't know if the off-track excursion was a cause or an effect of the gearbox failure. Certainly could be you know, changing the way the braking would happen under, uh, if, the, if the gearbox is messed up. And some or of the, the gearbox screwed locks up. up or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So uh, we don't know quite what the deal was. And... Uh, Schumacher wasn't uh, quick to point out, though, after the race, oh, no, we don't question the, the Mercedes' reliability, though. We know the reliability's there. It's like, but your car's not working <laughs> anymore. It's like, oh, no, this is just a one-off. This happens. But, no, we're reliable. Don't worry. So it was sort of, a, okay, a little bit of PR for uh, Schumacher to do there. But, yeah, so it was, like you say, uh, I mean, the, the guys who started in second and, or, sorry, third and fourth out of the race in the first 10 laps or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, it, it, you know, ended up being back to the usual the usual suspects at the top of the field with Jensen Button just hanging on and uh, dominating it um, with Lewis Hamilton, his teammate behind him, until uh, we had a mid-race safety car period. Uh, that was brought out because the caterham uh, was a, yeah Petrov was uh, stopped at the side of the track with a steering column failure of mm-hmm. some sort. Yeah, um, but it was enough to bring out the safety car and bunch things back up. Uh, Vettel's timing just happened to be brilliant at uh, just got lucky really at uh, which is at the annoying actually car. because he made it off like the safety car wasn't a big deal it's like oh we were gaining anyway blah 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 it's like, no you got really lucky with that yeah I mean that timing because everyone else was already slowing down and he that was very good timing for Vettel right so that was Vettel getting around Hamilton was purely down to the timing of the safety car uh, Button and Hamilton had just pitted right before that and they had, in the same lap uh, and uh, we're, we're back out and then uh, yeah Vettel you know got Passed Hamilton that way by uh, coming out, you know, pitting during the safety car. Um, but after that, uh, Button was able to just continue on, and, and after that, it, it went on to the finish that way with uh, Button in the lead, followed by Vettel, um, with Hamilton behind him, and Mark Webber in um, fourth. Yes, you know, who was every once in a while uh, creeping up on Hamilton and looked like may, maybe uh, close enough to make something happen, but uh, didn't uh, didn't go on from there. Uh, and then behind him was Fernando Alonso, um, who had you know worked his way up the field uh, pretty well and was you know making the most out of what he could with that ferrari it was very interesting watching fernando because the race pace of the ferrari seemed way way better than the qualifying pace so i don't know how much of the ferrari's issues this time qualifying were just bad luck um and we're gonna have to keep a close eye on Massa. it's it's starting to look like Massa might just not have all the stuff he used to have because it's it seems like, this is just a continuation of last year. But it, the Ferrari, really, after the end of Saturday, looked pretty dire. And, uh, you know, a fifth-place finish from Alonso, considering everything that went down, uh, you know, fairly strong. Yeah, definitely. I mean, con- compared to Massa, who was uh, another retirement after that safety car, after the Hickey Kovalainen's deal with accident damage, um, 
and that was with uh, Bruno Senna, where he, he and uh, Bruno got together. Right. So it was just, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't a clash with Hamilton, thankfully, because we don't need to you know, reopen that whole folder. Right. Yeah. But uh, it was just, yeah, another another case of it seems like you know frustrated driving, um, where you know you just don't want to give a position up and maybe not thinking a little bit longer term and thinking, okay, I'm going to give out this corner to uh, you know to still have some points. Or I mean, he was out of the points then anyway. It was just a, kind of a desperate move, but. Anyway, so yeah, Massa with the retirement um, after a poor qualifying compared to Alonso, um, who yes he had an error in qualifying, but then was able to you know scrap that back into some halfway decent points yep. and uh, and and be there at the end. Well, uh, good enough points to put uh, Ferrari, I believe it's uh, fourth in the constructors. So uh, considering considering oh I'm sorry third in the constructors. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, so no, fourth. All, so I'm already. Sorry, fourth. You know, remember the way the the balance of power was. You know, it was Red Bull with two very consistent point scoring drivers, mostly by Vettel. At the moment, it's funny. At the moment, Sauber Ferrari is ahead of Ferrari in the constructors' championship right now. Nice, um, but we had two solid points winning drivers from Red Bull, two solid points winning drivers from McLaren, and just one from Ferrari. Yeah, and that's exactly what we've seen with one race so far. We've yeah. already seen that it's like, oh, can't count on Massa for points, but all the other guys. You know, it's really the top five uh, being you know it, that are that are you know looking for points. Um, but later down in the field is where some there's some some craziness was happening. Well, I mean the the big one for me and is is Maldonado. Yeah, I mean he was doing really well. I mean the Williams, again they, I mean they had a lot of they they'd fallen down, so it was making easier to show an improvement. But they seem to have made a big big improvement. I mean their qualifying position was solid. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't bad. It started eighth, yeah, and uh, he was running sixth. Until the last lap, <laughs> I mean, so and it looks like he was running sixth and he was competing for fifth place. I think I think he was running, trying to gain fifth. Yep, on Alonso. On Alonso and uh, just lost it. Basically, he got onto the uh, rumble strips, the apex rumble strips, and I think just juiced it too much, a little too much power, and the car slid sideways. He recovered and then it snapped back the other way and nosed right into the outside wall. Right, and that's with uh, the nature of uh, the Melbourne track. I mean, there's there's runoff at the end of a lot of the long straightaways because it's a park and it's kind of designed with that. But there, on a lot of the mid mid course, there's you know barriers just off the side of the track. So if that had been you know grass there, he may have been able to you know come back around, still would have lost some positions. But in the way it was, there's a wall right at the exit of that corner, and uh, that that ended his race, which is a, a you know a big disappointment for as well as he was doing and as much as. Uh, you know, he wants to help. It's, it's been, you know, a lot of the money from Maldonado, and, and he wants to help prove that oh, I'm not just here because I'm paying to be here, but I'm actually a good driver and all that. And he sort of was making, a, uh, you know, good steps towards uh, being able to say that and then uh, ends up making just a mistake. But it was very costly because it, uh, yeah, it would have been sixth. Then I think he's qualified 13th or something as uh, classified there as, as for the result. Right. And then right behind him was this big battle that was going on uh, between uh, Kobayashi, uh, what, Rosberg, um, Raikkonen, uh, yeah, Kimi was in there, um, having worked his way up from from you know back there, and then uh, even behind him, I guess you know a little bit farther back was Jean Eric Verne in, in one of the STRs, and they ended up qualifying all all of those uh, crossing the finish line kind of in one clump, and yep. it was a little bit awkward. But the way it, they uh, were thirty nine point four. 39.5, 39.7, and 39.8 seconds behind the leader <laughs> when yeah. they crossed the line. So it ends up where Kobayashi was qualified from goes from ninth to sixth in the last lap. The way the uh, you know the timing breaks down um, with uh, 
you know, then oh, and Perez was in there as well. At yeah, time. it was Perez, Ricardo, Deresta, and Vern were very, very close to each other. And then not far up the road was Kobayashi and Raikkonen. So yeah, they were all very, very close. Right. Uh, so it's just kind of you know that was sort of the mid-pack battle that uh, ended up being interesting. But yeah, for most of the, the end of the, uh, the, the after that safety car, really the last third of the race, it uh, really had settled down pretty well, and there wasn't uh, quite so much going on there. Um, a couple more retirements, just for for whatever reason, a lot of either sort of pent up frustration or whatever uh, <laughs> from a lot of drivers. But uh, you know, we had um, after the one caterer retired after Heki Kovalainen, and then they they uh, or after Petrov retired, they called Heki in. Um, saying, oh, well, you have the same steering problem, so we want to retire the car. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, you know, Senna in that incident with uh, Massa. It ended Massa's race immediately. Senna's car, they got back around, put in another couple laps, but uh, right. then ended up retiring that uh, as well. And then... Uh, and Pastor's accident, but he, he was... It was on the very last lap, and he was far enough along that he's actually still ahead of the Ma Rushes, even though they completed the race. Right. So... Yeah, the you know, the end of it uh, settled down a little bit until that very last lap with uh, the drama from Maldonado. But right, uh, and, but you know, one more. I think really we really need to talk about uh, independently. Nico Rosberg, he finished twelfth, and he was the last guy that finished the race on the lead lap. And you know, so you look at their qualifying performance, fourth and seventh, and the practice performance was even more impressive than that. Even even go to Q one, Q two, Rosberg was looking very very quick. And all of a sudden, race distance, um, uh, it's a little hard to say. Uh, Rosberg did have a puncture early on from some open, open lap stuff, nonsense that went on. And uh, Schumacher obviously had the issue and was running strong. But, you know, this is Rosberg's year, right? I mean, he's got to get the win in. He's got to yeah. get some podiums in. Like, some things need to happen for this guy. He's making, like, $120 million for the next five years or something. And, you know, so he's running out of time, I think, to start making so to have that 12th place finish to be the last guy in the lead lap that does not look like a front running team to me right and you know they certainly have the potential especially with Schumacher's qualifying um to uh to really you know be there and, and get some good points and so on and uh, yeah that's that's certainly not happened yet and it looks like maybe he was you know the timing of his pit pit timing ended up becoming unlucky with the safety car I and mean, there's a couple of different things like every time you know he loses lots of spaces for pits and then kind of claws a few back but uh yeah, not enough to, to really matter. And it looks like he drops from, um, like, ninth to 12th all of a sudden on the last lap as well. Um, so the other thing that we were looking at that was a big story in the offseason, right, was some of the mid-pack teams moving forward. Uh, oh, like, this is Force India could be, you know, really moving forward enough to challenge with Ferrari and right. so on, especially right. after qualifying, um, as well as even Caterham. There was a lot of talk of, oh, Caterham could be taking moving that step. to be a mid-pack. Yeah, yeah. to be a mid-pack from the, from the back markers. And I, I don't think we saw... Of, you know any coverage of the Force India at all? Um, you know, yeah. of course we had uh, Hulkenberg was out early on, but um, and then the Caterhams. You know, jokingly, the first time we saw that shot uh, was when, uh, you know, was Petrov when Petrov's car had parked. failed. It was like, oh, there it. Oh, it stopped. Oh, that's why we're seeing right, it. Right, right. So there's really, I mean, nothing. You know, a lot of talk and a lot of hype in the off season, and of course everyone wants to be hopeful about how their maybe car design is like, going to be amazing. Maybe it was like all Caterham and Ma Russia when we had commercial breaks. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's when all the all the sweet action was happening in the midfield or all those steps forward. But uh, I mean, obviously, you know, double retirement for Caterham is not a brilliant way to start out the team, uh, start the year. HRT not even being in the race at all by virtue of not qualifying. Right. Uh, so and hopefully those close. things can Man. can turn around. But uh, yeah, it's you know, no exciting you know steps up the grid there happening yet. 
So, yeah, and uh, I think one thing that's worth talking about for a, a couple of moments are the rookies. Um, we had uh, we have Vern in there. We have Charles Peake. And you could maybe argue Grosjean, although we kind of mentioned that in the past. Um, you know, it's a little hard to say for the exact reason you just mentioned. We didn't get tons of coverage of them. But, you know, Vern, Vern Gay did pretty well. I think respectable. I think Daniel Ricciardo, you know, clearly had the upper hand today. And uh, Charles Peake, I know he's, he's a proper rookie, but he looks like he's struggling against Timo Glock. Yeah. Uh, I mean, starting 20th and 21st, and then Charles Peake ending uh, five laps off of the leader in, in Timo uh, one lap off. Yeah. That's a pretty big disparity there. And, uh, I mean, you know, I have the statistics in front of me. You know, uh, Timo Glock's qualifying time was, you know, seven and a half tenths better than uh, Peake's. And, uh, you know, his fastest lap was, you know, you know, eight-tenths of a second better than Peak's right fastest on. lap, okay, this those is, type of things. Th- so. This is his first F1 race, though. Yes. So we'll, we'll give him, you know, we'll, let's let him settle in a little bit and figure out the whole timing of everything, you know, and get everything sorted out. My point is Charles Peak's old news. He's got to go. Okay. That's, that's all I'm trying Fair to say. Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, it's... Out with the old, in with the new. It's he did better than Pedro de la Rosa and Naran Kartikeyan, two of the <laughs> oldest men in the world, and yet, you know, some... <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then, yeah, it's sort of, you know, Ricardo, not really a rookie, but in his first, you know, full season starting from the beginning, and uh, and Vern. And that's that's really where the interesting stuff is, because that's STR, you know, and it's, it's sort of perfect that one was in Q2 and one, you know, out in, in 11th, and the other one made it to Q3. They are right on the verge of points. Uh, oh, Vern on the verge. I think there's a, that's there's a, lovely. There's yeah, a pun well in done, there somewhere. Well done. Um, but uh, that's, that's one where it's not, you know, like what are you really going to get out of the catering, even with some really good drivers or, or the HRTs or the, or, you know, the, some of these, but uh, you know, the Marussia, but um, you know, the STRs is where you can really, if you've got, you know, really proper performance there, you get some points, you know, upset the balance up the top a little bit. Yep. And, uh, and then the Lotus as well. It looks like, you know, if, uh, if Kimi can get his timing and his reactions to mistakes sorted out a little bit better and Grosjean isn't, you know, retiring in the second lap, then uh, I think we can have some, some good stuff from them. Right. And there's certainly hope for Mercedes yet, right? I mean, we don't need to write them off just yet. That car is so ugly. It... <laughs> I don't want to well, see it anymore. And that's the one thing we talked about too, uh, you know, the, the in-car camera shots of those step-nose cars is ridiculous looking. Yeah, every time I see that, I'm like, what is wrong with the front? Oh, that's just how they look now. It's just that. that kind of pokes out from there. And there's right. The, ugh, it's bad. And I wonder, because the drivers probably can't see, you know, they, they see the step, and then beyond that, probably can't see anything uh, from right. where they are. So it's, yeah, I don't know if that was part of the whole first lap. Well, let's say, uh, what are those called? The, the, the really wealthy homes on the cliffs. They have, like, the, the infinity endless pools. pools. Yes. Yeah, they have infinity <laughs> noses. It's pretty much the deal, too. Oh, it's, man. It's bad, man. It's, it's just, a feature, okay? It's a feature. It's just no good. Um, so in uh, this little piece, actually, I wanted to talk about briefly um, bef- uh, from pre-race uh, news, oh. um, but sort of ties in with what we're talking about a little bit with these, uh, these lower-level teams and the budgets and so on, is that Bernie Ecclestone is back to the idea of customer cars in F1. Oh, of course, okay. this came up uh, with uh, STR when they were using Red Bull technology, and they sort of thought, no, this is what we're doing. We're yeah, buying this, this technology. Yeah, third-party subsidiary. Yeah, where... oh, Red Bull Technologies sold us, sold us this car. And that was sort of like the team orders deal, which was sort of like, if it's going to happen, let's... Let's be. Let's all be honest about it happening. Not come up with crazy ways of working around it. Well, and that's how. Um, uh, oh shoot, he's uh, not Richard Burns. Uh, uh, David Richards. Yeah. When ProDrive wanted to get into Formula One, that was going to be the way they were do. They were going to buy cars from McLaren. Right. 
Uh, so Bernie's new idea, and this hasn't, I don't think, gone past this yet, although it has been sort of talked about and has reignited that argument um, among, you know, cost-cutting and everything else that has to be done, is that uh, t uh, teams would be able to buy two-year-old cars from the top teams or designs for the two-year-old cars so they could build their own. Um, so you could have, you know, Ferrari being the Ferrari team, but then also a, a customer team, instead of trying to start from zero and design something that may or may not even work or maybe a whole disaster or whatever, could use a two-year-old Ferrari design or two-year-old Red Bull design or whatever. As, and, but, but with the, uh, the limit of, I think, three seasons, um, saying, okay, you can use that design for the first three years as an F1 team um, as, a, as sort of a basis to see, you know, get all the other logistics and all the other planning and everything that needs to go into building an F1 team. So at least you know you've got a reliable car. It's not going to be terribly competitive because, of course, all the top runners are two years past that in terms of design. But yeah. at least it won't be, you know, hopefully like, like the HRT. I mean, those guys must be, must be so disappointed with everything that's gone into, the, you know, the last-minute crash testing and all this, oh, we've got to get these filming days and all this stuff to not even be able to drive. But so again, it's like I mean, at least you've got a reliable that, car. To me, that seems so much more of a funding issue than anything else, right? Because if you have reasonable funding then you can hire good engineers that have the experience. And then you're effectively getting the same as a design, a two-year-old design. If you, got, if you can afford, you know, if you can afford a Mike Gascoigne, he already has that knowledge built in so that you're not really starting from scratch, although it's a clean sheet of paper. The mind that is riding on that paper I mean, it's a clean sheet of paper, but it's how are these cars manufactured? How are they tested? Where is the factory? Where, do they, where are the parts made? I mean, you need to get them shipped here. I mean, some of these cars, you know, couldn't even be assembled in time for testing. And for things like that, it's like, you know, if the car is a known quantity, and it seems a little bit weird that that would be the one variable that you can really, you know, pin down. But at least to get an F1 team up and running, get the drivers figured out, get the whole team mechanism sorted out, you know, and, and then say, okay, and this is our car. And then after a year, two years, or even three years of using that, um, you know, go to, uh, you know, go to, okay, now we're at a point where we understand running the races, you know, our, our sponsors all know what the deal is, you know, we've got this money coming in, we've seen these results, we've got our drivers, we're all sweet. Uh, now we can, you know, expand out from there. I, I, I think know, it's it actually a good idea. Sounds a bit like a sprinkler system to me on the race. That's not a sprinkler system. It's a little bit of a it's, sprinkler system. I don't know. I, I, it does, but it doesn't affect the, 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 the top guys. It doesn't upset the balance of power at the sharp the, end of the grid. More what you can do, in my opinion, is have a stronger vetting system for who is allowed into Formula One in the first place. You know, I think the cater, I think Caterham has very legitimately made their place in Formula One. Are they still towards the back? Absolutely. But they've been doing well enough to make ground. So they're still towards the back, but their delta between their times and the mid-pack time, mid-back mid-pack teams is tightening. It's tough for me to say. Um, Ma Russia is holding on. Maybe they're not doing as well as they could be, but I think they're doing okay. HRT probably shouldn't have been allowed in the, into the sport in the first place. But how can anyone get up to the point where they can be in the sport if they're never allowed to start? But I don't know. If you remember, we, there were a few teams. And I, I'm racking my brain a little bit to give a specific examples, but there were 10 to 12 teams when they had the three slots open. Mm -hmm. There were 10 to 12 teams that had... Um, that had backing, that had interest in getting in. And there were some teams that seemed much more established with facilities, with manufacturing, with funding than the teams that got in. And part of the reason that the teams got, that got in that did were political. You know, you know, USF1, for example, you know, David Winsor worked, Peter Winsor worked really hard mm -hmm. to make negotiations with Bernie. Were they the best team to let in? Well, probably not. But Obviously, I feel like in retrospective... But, yeah, like, but that example means, I think, that your whole, like, vetting the teams to, to who, who they've let in, I mean, that process is 
going to be political and it's going to be problematic. So I think if they can buy Somewhat, the cars but, and run a car that's reliable, then that makes more sense. But, I mean, think about it. it uh, the um, I forget the name of the team, but it was uh, Villeneuve was part of it. They were going to buy old Toyota designs, you know, and that team was rejected. Right. So – I don't Dude, we know. don't want Villeneuve back enough. Well, I'm not Come saying on. we want Villeneuve back. I mean, Come on. That, his, was, that was for the best. His, his, we don't his, need his country His country album. music is so good that I would hate to pry him away from, from the, his music career or whatever he's doing. Right. On. Well, so far, we'll see if it, if it goes anywhere. Um, you know, the FIA, it seems like is, you know, obviously we've got the new uh, Turbo V6 era coming year after next, 2014. Yep. Uh, that's when I guess we'll be able to tweak car designs again. Uh, they'll be able to talk about you know legislation about the, the step noses and those kind of things. Although maybe that will be a non-issue by then if everyone looks at the McLaren and looks at the other ways of doing this and you know the performance of everything and says, wait a minute, this isn't a huge advantage. Maybe that won't matter. But uh, you know then also they'll have to look at okay, well is this the time to have you know how our customer cars going to work? Maybe there'll be more manufacturers with the whole turbo V6 thing if Honda wants to get back into it or Toyota, who knows what. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to a lot to look at between now and then. But uh, anyway, I th- I think it'd be kind of an, an interesting way of doing that so that teams aren't decided by politics and so on. But you know, there's teams have a way of without spending uh, just unrealistic amounts of money uh, can at least have a car that is reliable and that is designed completely and you know passes crash tests and things like that. And then they can get onto the business of actually running the team and figuring out drivers and testing and all the rest of it. I think the problem is is you get less creativity, less design. You know, you start inbreeding, basically, and all of a sudden you just have, you know, three or four teams. Like, every every guy has either a McLaren, a Ferrari, or uh, a Red Bull, and, you know, just, like, some are two years old and some are newer. And, meh, I don't know. To me, that doesn't sound interesting. I like the idea of having 12. I feel like it's, well, it only 12 be... unique re- interpretations of what's going on. And they already have the technical partnerships. That's allowed. You know, that's what McLaren does with HRT. That's what McLaren that's did. Out. Well, you, McLaren had that with Force India, and Force India is a solid mid-pack team now. Well, sort of. We'll see. Ish could be yeah. potentially. Yeah. Well, technical partnerships. Yeah, maybe. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see if that goes anywhere. I don't think it's anything like sprinklers, though, because sprinklers is is. is Gold medals. It's like gold medals. It if, no, it affects because both of those things, uh, you know, affect what's going on at the top. And the idea is, if Ferrari can build a better car than McLaren, then they should and can race it better and have better drivers, then they should they should win over McLaren or Red Bull or you know whoever whoever's at the top at the time. But that the customer cars aren't going to change that. I mean, the sprinklers and goofball stuff and medals can change that. But okay, but like if uh, when Red Bull came into the sport, when Red Bull bought the Jaguar team. You know, if they could instead have, instead of buying the Jaguar team, if they could have bought a two-year-old Ferrari, I don't think that would have been as interesting as doing what they did. That's a weird example, though, because they had all the money in the world, and they were just, how can we get into doing this? And then it still took them a couple of years to get up and figure it out. Um, but, you know, it's more along the lines of, you know, I guess the Super Aguris being sort of the Honda, the old Aeros designs or whatever. And, uh-huh. you know, if they had been able to take that and, and work on that better rather than being so far behind with car design that they, you know, all their best efforts and all their best people and money and sponsors and everything just turned away from it by uh, by virtue of, hey, you guys can't build a good car. So anyway, we'll, we'll see if that if that even matters in the future or not. But um, I'm, I'm excited to see when, the, you know, the, the turbos as that comes out, as those, you know, start to come into testing and all that. Uh, that's way down the road, though. And uh, on a total tangent from this, I'm also really excited to see the Delta Wing race at Le Mans. Uh, I know we, we post those stories every once in a while, but that's a good, really good sort of left field example of let's try something really different and 
efficiency and and kind of can we can we really upset the way things are doing and that's in a whole different race series but uh, i've been doing a lot of sports car stuff lately with uh 12 hours of sebring and everything happening this weekend so we're finally like back in the well that's proper one of those, racing season here. right and that's one of those cars that's truly different from everything else right it's like the biggest biggest change it's the biggest delta you could say Ooh. of um of all the race current race car philosophies out there so that's what's interesting about it you know they're trying to be competitive on a car that has a lot less horsepower. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. I mean, it's going to be a 1.6-liter engine they're hoping makes 300 horsepower, which, you know, that was the whole idea for the Indy car, was that it was a 300-horsepower car that would be as quick as the 600-horsepower car they were using. So Right. And I don't think it was the right thing for IndyCar, but this, if it works out in sports cars, that'll be so cool to see how that uh, how that progresses. But, you know, that's that's... You know, the, just the way of the world right now is that the crazy, oddball, really innovative designs. I mean, the innovation is happening at such a different level in some other series where here an innovation is, you know, how to trick the DRS in the rear wing, how to make that affect the front wing and working within the really tight re- you know, restrictions or how do we do the step nose? Do we make it a vent or do we make it a, uh, you know, a low pressure area? And how do we how do we work with the aerodynamics around this one particular part of the rules where in some other series like sports cars um, or what they were looking at for Indy cars is like, Let's have a totally different style for this car and right. see how it's going to work and, and all that. But it's just something that's, you know, I'm excited to see that work as well as some of the, like, the, you know, the Toyota hybrid race car and some of those things. It should be, should be pretty cool to see how that all comes through. Right. And I uh, just want to reiterate that you're uh, wrong about Bernie's thing. But otherwise, we need to move on yeah. and uh, talk about listener feedback. Alrighty. Yes, indeed, listener feedback, and the main area where we get listener feedback these days and the whole kind of F1 show listener community congregates is on our Facebook page, and uh, that has had some radical changes in the last few weeks. Radical! Uh, it's like the Delta Wing of Facebook pages. Ooh, wow, it, it kind of bring it back full circle there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, as I put in one of the posts about after changing this over, it's you know it's Facebook's world and we just kind of live in it. So um, I'm not sure yet if these changes are for the better or not, but it doesn't really matter because we're not in control of that. It's uh, whatever Facebook wants to do. So our our page is now in kind of in the more timeline format, uh, where you can kind of just keep scrolling back and seeing the older things and the, the way posts are laid out and everything is is a bit different. Um, for those of you who uh, liked the old format where it was kind of all the uh, listeners and you know because uh, you know there's a lot more of you guys than there are of us and so there's uh, a lot of uh, you know fan posts and people posting you know pictures and links and different things as they come. Um, it's still there. Uh, there's there's a, a little section called recent posts by others on the F1 show and if you click see all on there you can see all the comments and what people have posted and what people like and all those kind of things. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is featuring you know mostly featuring uh, our posts, which is going to be our episodes and links and stuff that we put. Um, our predictions are right across the top of the page there, which we'll talk about predictions in a minute. But, uh, you know, all, all the content is still there. Nothing's gone. It's just laid out a little bit differently. And uh, for those that don't like it, uh, there's not a whole lot we can do. But also that's the way all Facebook pages uh, either look now or are going to look. So uh, we might as well get used to it. Um, and then I guess the other the other <laughs> section I'll notice. <laughs> nice. That's way to softball them in, Jim. I, I mean, like it's, it. if it were, I, I'm not the dictator here. It's like a Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> dictator. Listen, I don't make the rules. Right. Like it's we just live in this world, right? If we want to be part of Facebook, this is what we do. Um, and then there is a little section at the top that by default is set to highlights, which is saying show highlights, which is some of some of other people's posts and F1 show and all that. Uh, you can also set that to show show posts by others, and that will be. 
um, all of our other usual contributors, uh, like our statistics guru, Neil Popham, and, uh, you know, prediction stud, friend of the show, Craig Wilson, and uh, Sean Scanlon, Colin Sato, all the, all the usual suspects, they're all there, everyone's still part of the community, uh, you just gotta get at it a little bit differently, and, um, don't send me nasty letters about it because I can't really change it. But if you have any, if anyone loves it, you can let us know and uh, <laughs> by either posting on the Facebook page. Your explanation here is fantastic. My point here is I didn't make this change. All right, <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to say. And, and oh man, please don't, out of spite for what Facebook does, stop listening to the F1 show because it's brilliant. And uh, at the very top of the show, there is a nice, lovely, giant picture of Robert Kubica in the uh, in the Renault um, from Canada, 2000, 2010. Um, which, uh, which I actually took when I was there in the stands. Uh, that was on my honeymoon and all that, so it was kind of cool because it's like, you know, freaking Kubica. He's still, you know, I want to, like, throw a little love his way, and it's kind of a cool picture. Yeah, and he's kind of been out of the news a little bit. Uh, I don't know what's... I don't know what's going to happen if he's going to be able to make it back in the car and which car it might be when in if he when yeah. if and when he does. It's looking less and less like he'll be an F1 driver again. I mean, it's it seems like his recovery is more about let's let's see if we can kind of, you know, function as as normally as possible, you know, have use of both his hands reliably and, and elbows and all that and uh wrists, you know, everything working properly and less like Let's see this guy be an F1 again, which is sad, but, you know, we'd hate to have him, you know, re-injure himself or, you know, come back and uh, and have problems. So, uh, anyway, just wanted to throw a little love his way, and it's uh, it's our own picture, so it's kind of cool to have across the top, but we can change that whenever we want. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that that gym does have control over it. That I do, and, you know, I'm standing by but my... But if you don't like it, shove it, because I don't care, because I'm Jim Lau. Okay, those were not my words at all. Um, but still, the main hub for everything F1 Show is at f1show.com. And that's, that's where, where all the magic happens. Right. You can see our current posts and our old posts. You can leave comments right on the, sh- right on the show posts right there. Uh, you can now share those. Uh, if, you, if there's an episode you particularly like, you can tweet it or Google Plus it or whatever you want to do. Um, and uh, there's uh, some other fun stuff on the website now as well. Yeah, and in terms of comments, you know, the, uh, the Facebook page has been very active. We're up to... 1,121 likes. We got a big old thumbs up from over 1,100 people, which is very, very, very cool. And that's exciting. So, And the, the, the number of comments we're getting more and more activity, so it's, it's really exciting. And it's become a very organically growing, interesting place to have a conversation about Formula One. And the fact that it has our name on it with uh, my wife's logo on it is fantastic. So... Um, Keep it going. Enjoy it. I think it's, a, it's, it's fun. It's fun to get a little cheeky at times. And uh, everyone seems to be good-natured in general. So uh, really excited that it's become what it's become. Yeah, definitely. A uh, couple of shout-outs from uh, the, the Twitter, um, you know, from, from us 12-year-olds over here on yeah, Twitter. Yes, the kids. I can see that look on your face every time I mention that, uh, that word. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Pete S2K, who uh, wised me up and, and sent me the screenshot, says, congrats on the new job with a photo of the F1 show on Sky Sports at 8 p.m. on Friday. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, thanks for, for letting us know what's going on with that. And, uh, and then a couple of the other uh, usual Twitter followers, uh, Leanne Court, talking about, uh, hey, you know, it's the start of the F, you know, the F1 season's close when the F1 show, uh, you know, starts podcasting again and everything comes back into, uh, you know, this is a lot of the off season. People are just really excited about all kinds of F1 news and want to get back into the season. So, uh, yeah, we are we are back into it in full strength here for 2012. Lovely. So, to be part of the conversation, visit f1show.com. You can comment on this show and, of course, all future ones and uh, connect to us any way that you want. That's interesting, f1show.com. It seems like if you had that kind of a URL, that you would be kind of like, I don't know, the first people to have that name, don't you think? That's kind of like a 
That's like the URL you would choose if you yeah. were the first people to choose. But what if you want? Like, what if what if you go to like the F one show.com? Oh no, it's still yep. be the first that's one. Still yep, us. That's still mm, us. Mm, yeah, mm. I guess you know. Just inter- maybe mm. maybe they don't have Google over there in England. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Weird jerks. But it's cool because if you found us from looking for the other F one show, then you really have made a step up in terms of content. You um, are welcome. For I've never that. seen the other F one show. I don't I don't like to watch. You know. Well, we don't have satellite television, well, period. And we don't have Sky, even if we would have satellite television. We'd have gr- direct TV or super-duper TV or whatever it's called here. I think it's called Dish is the other one. Oh, okay. Super-duper TV. But, yeah, <laughs> either way, we, we, don't, we don't watch the show. Maybe it's amazing, probably, though, because they're name thieves, that they're you know, just not doing uh, nearly as well as, uh, as having this. So, no, so welcome be, to us. They wouldn't be name thieves. They'd be name nickers, right? Don't you nick something in England? But nickers is something else. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> All right, let's move along. Live probably best. Predictions last year were great. Neil Poppin hooked us up the prediction stud. He built this great little um, uh, page uh, that was attached to the F1 show page on Facebook. An app, if you will. An app, and it was lovely. It's gone epic. It's, we, re- it's gone big because we we started you know we we've had this all through last season but we've gotten a, a whole bunch of new fans that came in throughout the course of the season that were at such a disadvantage they couldn't start predictions partway right. through. So but, now well, now we're rocking you know sixty seven people uh, entered in for this first race. If you didn't get into the first race, you are at a bit of a disadvantage, but it is not over yet. And because we have so many more people playing, the points will scatter. I'm sure of it. So. Um, I highly encourage everyone that is at all interested to play along. Uh, Neil is great about keeping it up to date, and it's a lot of fun. Listen, if you want to put Pedro De La Rosa and or Narain Carthacan as winner or pole, you can do that. He's, he's on top of it. He's, really, he's willing to let anyone take whatever risk they want, and we appreciate that. I didn't take that risk myself. Well, this let last me take time. a step back for a second and, and tell for any anyone, especially who's new or hasn't, we haven't done this in a while. What the heck we're talking about? Oh goodness so gracious! So Robin and I um, have, in, in an effort, you know, we used to just sort of give offhanded predictions of, hey, what do you think is going to happen next? As right. a way of seeing, and then uh, and we would do that. We would see how close we were on the next show, and then we took that a step further and wondered, are we any better at guessing? You know, are we using all of our expansive, you know, knowledge and resources of all these articles and all the, you know, everything we have access to? As part of the F1 show community, are we any better at picking what's going to happen next than a simple, you know, computer macro? Which is courtesy of my uh, buddy Brock, who right. said, "Do it this way." Which would just say, whoever was on pole position last time is going to be on pole again, and then whoever won last time is going to win the next race. It's that simple, and that's, that's simple. the predictions model. And then we choose who we think is going to be on pole and who we think is, who we think is going to win the next race. Uh, and then we've expanded it beyond that to say, with, with Neil Popham's help uh, on Facebook, uh, to let our fans go in there as well and, and not only play along at home, but also just you know, put, in their, put their uh, predictions right in there. Um, and we try to do this before Friday practice of any given weekend. Yes. Um, so we don't have the you know, advantages of who's, who's running quickly and who's whatever. It's just kind of um, there's no uh, official prizes, uh, but uh, we, we may surprise some of the top uh, listeners there. So, Jim, um, that is not true. Always and you fun. know that very well, that the official prize for winning in predictions is Coke. And the, the best place to go is you go to your local supermarket and you pay your winning fee and you pick up your Coke. There's, there's many. We, we've, we've established a pretty serious network worldwide for these. Yes. So you just go, usually, you know, they might have different names. But it's basically the F1 Show Rewards Center. Yes. And, and you just pay your win fee and you get your Coke. Fair enough. Um, so 
there, there's a leaderboard and everything, and it's a whole lot of fun. So, uh, yes, we do our best to predict on the show, and uh, if anything, we're at a bit of a disadvantage because we're always recording right after the previous uh, race. And, uh, you know, we're going to be, so for today's show, we'll be predicting Malaysia, uh, where you may have a couple of days to, uh, to see what, what all develops in the off season or in the off week. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You can see if, uh, if we're any good at it and if you guys are any good at it. And, uh, so far some people have done quite well. So let's, let's talk a little bit about our results for this week. Yeah. So Jim has so far has proven to not be very good at it. Cause what, where uh, are you ranked? Whatever. 34th. Um, I think it is. Let's, let's see. I'm yeah, not on let's page one. Yes, I'm 34th. You are 34th, and I, sir, am 8th, which is way better than 34th. You know who we're better than, though? That stupid statistical model, (laughs) who was so accurate last year when Sebastian Vettel was so consistent and never never that far away. Uh, The the stat model really did give us a run for our money, Uh, but that stupid stat model, that Excel spreadsheet of a model is in 61st place, so I can feel good about that. <laughs> Although, even that said, um, the, way the, the way the points work for this is um, if you, you pick who's on, who you think is going to be on pole, who you think is going to win, however many places away from the pole position or away from the victory is worth a point. Is one point. So the statistical model in 61st place actually only has eight points uh, because, of course, the last uh, pole position was Sebastian Vettel. Um, and then, and then the last race win was Mark Webber. So uh, Vettel being in sixth spot was five points away from pole, and Mark Webber what? finished fourth. So he was three points. Five plus three equals eight. Yes. Um, this time around, Jim, you went Vettel. Vettel. I with- figured that the Vettel Red Bull dominance would continue to happen, and that it was sort of maybe a lame bet, but it ended up being wrong. So so be it. It's you know six points is not all that many right. in the grand you scheme s- of things. You scored the same five points for qualifying, but only one point from the win since Vettel was second. I, on the other hand, said I know what's going to happen. Kinda. Button, button. And I was close. I was actually quite close. Me and my boy Craig, we were uh, in this together. And uh, we, you know, Jensen qualified second, so that was worth a point. But he did, in fact, win the race. Zero points earned, so I had just one point. Low points wins in this game. It's like golf. But you know who who knew exactly what was going to happen, which was Hamilton pole and, and button win? Uh, Marcin Kawa, James Payne, Reese Milford, Alex Morrell. Did James Payne get zero? Really? Mark Barron, oh. James Hodge, and Andy Clark. Okay. Everybody listening, James Payne needs to go down. That needs to happen. We cannot have a repeat winner. We are not going to have a double predictions champion. That will not happen. So that, that, that's how that is so far. <laughs> I, I don't know how we're going to affect that. But we can, I think if we send, uh, we, we send some money to our prediction stud and kind of sway his, his ah, you know, the court of predictions opinion one way I or like another. I like that. I like that. Uh, I shouldn't have said that on the air because now secret's out. But anyway, said this, what is, on the air? this is all very up and up, and this is a very serious system. Many checks and balances are in place, and it's all very regulated by local authorities. So don't cheat. Yes, but James Payne, accidents do happen. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. If you somehow couldn't get to Facebook in the days before the trade, I don't know. <laughs> I don't... We're threatening people after one round. Yeah. Oh, that's, boy. That's a very good point. It's been only one round so far. But we've got another race coming up in just a week's time. So now is the time, folks. You and, and you and me both, as well as all of our listeners. So, Jim, let's start with you, buddy. Um, I've already actually made my prediction on the site. And I think the statistical model, who now thinks that... Hamilton will be on pole again and Button will win again is wrong. Okay. But that he's close. Okay. And that uh, none other than Jensen Button will be on pole position. You're putting Button on pole. I Interesting. am. But that Hamilton's going to come through and win. Oh, my And he goodness. won't be such a sourpuss about winning. Yeah, he was a bit of a sourpuss. Like, oh, my God, he? I got third. My life is over. Everything is terrible. Here's the thing. Dude, whatever. You're in third spot. Here's the thing. Uh, Sebastian Vettel won in Malaysia last year. 
and he was on pole in Malaysia last year. Which you're like, okay, well, whatever. That's not that. Sebastian Vettel won everything last year. But he was also on pole and won in 2010. Okay. So he's got a very good rec- record in Malaysia. I think he knows the place very well. Okay. So I'm actually tempted to go with a Vettel bet here. Okay. I'm not sure I'm going to do that So I'll yet, do it. But... You thought you'd have more time stalling for me, but already, I, I, I called it, man. I, but my votes are in. The other side of it is that the McLaren definitely does look like if you were going to say one car is the strongest, it's McLaren. But there's two very long straights um, at Malaysia. And if you, you had the Mercedes is going to have stuff, are you going to put Rosberg? Put this? To, why would I put Rosberg? Clearly Schumacher is Clearly the guy Schumacher to go for. Is a better driver. So you could have... But you know Schumacher isn't going to make it in the race. So you could go right. Schumacher that for That would pole. be a okay. qualifying only deal. So, I would be amazed. If you actually put Schumacher on for pole position, that would be brilliant. And if he got it, that would be got more it. brilliant. Yeah. So, then you'd get to upgrade from Cokes to Mellow Yellows, I think. I would hook you up if you got that right. <laughs> oh, my God. That's worth doing almost for that. Um, so... Anyway, I think I'm going to switch it up a little bit, and I think I'm going to put um, Hamilton on pole. What? Okay, fair enough. And Vettel to win. That's weird. I didn't think I was going to write that. <laughs> I thought you were going Schumacher. That was going to be big if you actually put him Mercedes. <laughs> now that we didn't, he's going to, of course, get pole position, and it'll be funny. But anyway. So, yeah, there you have it. So there you have it. Uh, we will just have to wait and see in one week's time um, when uh, we can all come back and see what if I'm on page four of the results by then, or if uh, you know our predictions have come good? Well, what's very interesting is it, it tends to happen just fundamentally that you tend to go for one team and then say, okay, which people within the team? And sometimes you mix it up between the team, but it's rare to do what I just did and say one team's going to get pulled, the other team's going to get. That doesn't happen very often. Nope. But there we did. I went bold. I went bold. Well played, sir. Well played. Or we'll see. Maybe maybe it was terrible. So, um, what else? Well, we, do have we have. To, well, we have to talk about the uh, website just a little bit. Yes. Changes have been made. Yes, we have. Okay, I'm back. I'm, I'm on the website. Uh, yes, we have. <laughs> so we've always had, and we've mentioned at the end of the show a couple of times uh, that you can get F1 Show merchandise, the official, official licensed, super awesome F1 Show T-shirts and stickers and some other stuff. Um, as it's race proven, these, these shirts have been worn to several races. Now there's photographic proof all over the world, both F1 races and some IndyCar races and some other ones. Um, it was skydiving improved as well, but anyway, yes. there's, they're brilliant shirts. Um, you, there's a, there's right now a link out on the side of the page there. You can, uh, you can get the F1 show merchandise from Warner Motorsports and, uh, definitely check that out. Cause it's some very cool stuff you can get there. Um, and also, um, we've got a, uh, a donation button, button. Um, it's like I mentioned, it's actually coming up on five years that you and I have run the F1 show, which is crazy. And, uh, yeah, cause we did the F1, the U S Grand Prix 2007, we were there live, uh, and that was 2007. That's, uh, which is five years ago. Um, uh, I ran the numbers, checks out. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh. Which is a little bit crazy, but yeah, we don't we don't make any money from this. Uh, no, quite, so the, quite as, the opposite. For those that uh, you know like the show and and have some value and some entertainment out of it and uh, want to support that, uh, that will go back into you know improving the show and making both the, the audio quality and part of some of the, you know, the things that we're able to do, uh, whether it's the the live show, the video kind of stuff, the extravaganza like we did for our episode 100. Um, keep in mind we have a U.S. Grand Prix coming up uh, back on the calendar this year, and yes. if we can have some. Uh, some fun involved there, as well as a second Grand Prix in the U.S. coming next year. Uh, so there could be a lot of fun opportunities for uh, us to be your connection to F1, uh, you know, especially in the U.S., but uh, 
just you know covering the races all throughout the season so there's a donate button and uh you know it's very cool if you feel uh, compelled to do so that uh, we can definitely accept your support and uh, we appreciate that very much please 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 don't feel obligated to donate but you should probably feel guilty if you don't there you go anyway i do believe that we are kind of coming to the end of the first show of the 2012 season of the uh, yes not the preseason because but the 2012 yes, yes. Exactly. Correct. Like you said, season. <laughs> and the end couldn't come soon <laughs> enough. <laughs> Still working the rust out. It's okay. It is all good. But as everyone, as ever, uh, please let us know what you think. Visit f1show.com. You can uh, leave us f- feedback and comments and all those kind of things. Uh, tell your friends about it and uh, feel free to review us on the iTunes store because. Uh, it's uh, something we haven't talked about in a little while, but that is how a lot of people find us, and that's great. And, uh, again, uh, welcome to everyone who uh, was looking for the other F1 show and uh, just magically stepped up into first class just all of a sudden by accident. That's, you are the that's one. That's great. Welcome there. And, uh, and we'll be back in just a week's time with coverage from Malaysia. So, uh, uh, you know, keep in touch in the off-season, off-week. Wow, season. Again, rusty. It's okay. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner saying always make sure to tell your mother you love her.